Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello. And welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I hope this finds you well. I'm fine. Nothing's changed. Gone nowhere. Done nothing. I I am nothing. <laughs> I I feel embarrassed doing the intros for these now because just I've I've nothing new to report. And also there's so many more interesting and terrifying things happening in the news. So I guess myself has just been consumed by the outside. I wonder if you feel the same. Um, thank you so much for your lovely messages about Catherine Bohart's episode last week, where we talked at length about mental health, in particular OCD. I've received so many personal and loving messages and messages from people who've passed it on to family members who are struggling with the condition. And so I really, really appreciate the recommendations you send me. And, and I really want to know who you want me to continue to talk to and what you me to talk about because I could do with all the learning and all the info so that I can make this podcast exactly what you want. Um, this week's guest is really special and she's someone that if you aren't following her on Twitter, I suggest you do, not just because she's very funny, but she's also very smart and she's unbelievably resilient and transparent online. Her name is Stephanie Yeboa. Uh, some people might have known her before as Nerd About Town. She was a famous fashion blogger who's now kind of moved into more of a style icon and uh, an activist space she uh, she works within what he, what she used to describe as the body positive movement but now has become more of the fat acceptance movement because the body positive movement has been taken over by thin predominantly light-skinned if not white uh, influencers who just show off their very traditionally acceptable bodies and then just say hashtag body positivity it's become this slogan that's been taken over by capitalism and materialism so it's no longer a social political movement that was there designed to help people who were being medically discriminated against and societally discriminated against because of the way that they look, because of how their body functioned or because of the size of their body. That's what the body positive movement was was originally for. And now it's become like a fancy slogan. So Steph works within the fat acceptance movement and she's one of the leading voices within that movement. She's so so special she has a new book coming out soon coming out this september called fatly ever after the fat black girl's guide to living life unapologetically and i think it's going to be wonderful and this episode today is a kind of glimpse into who she is and what that book will be about we talk about all things to do with race and body and loneliness and skin bleaching and mental health she was so brutally honest with me and she's someone i respect so much hilariously stephanie and i met by just fighting we used to argue with each other we didn't know each other didn't know anything about each other and just used to have consistent misunderstandings and uh, just didn't really get along for the first couple of months and then 
in DMs while the rest of the world thought we were still fighting, just became quite good friends and started to understand that we were on the same side. We have all the same views. And a lot of our our anger towards each other earlier was just Twitter-born misunderstandings and other people fanning the flames and just nonsense. And so I really like it when people who are moving within the same movements come together and recognise the bigger cause and and recognise the similarities they have rather than looking for the differences. She's someone that I'm really glad to have in my life and I learn a lot from. I'm super inspired by and she's had such an interesting and at times heartbreaking and inspiring life and I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know her. So this is the fabulous Stephanie Aboa. Stephanie Aboa, you are an award-winning journalist, public speaker, fat acceptance activist, and soon-to-be author. Welcome to I Weigh. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to meet you off the internet. I know, right? Finally. We've been finally. Having, yeah, we've had a, a filthy secret affair sliding into each other's DMs for, we have, for two years now. <laughs> we have it's been two years already. That's yeah, mad. I know. Yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. It's great. It's been, though. It's been real. It's been real. Yeah. It's been real, yeah. We've gone through the we've gone the through the full we've gone through the full cycle of a friendship. We've fallen out. We've made up yeah. and now we're here. I, yeah. um, I have so many questions for you because you have always been one of my uh, favourite voices within the body positive movement uh, and the fat acceptance movement. And increasingly over the last two years, as your profile has risen, it's been really cool to watch more and more people look to you as an inspiration. And I don't want to pressure you, but something of an authority on this subject oh, sometimes. Oh, God. Uh, I try. <laughs> and so and so I feel like no one can answer a lot of these questions better than you. So within your work, w- would you say it's body positivity or fat acceptance? Which one would you prefer for us to I would pref- I would prefer um fat acceptance. Okay. I so, think yeah. So with it, so how did you find the fat acceptance movement? What's been your history with your body? Mm-hmm. So um Ever since I can remember, I have always been extremely insecure about how I looked. Um, in my family unit, I was the biggest one. My mum, my brother, my dad. Well, not my dad, but my mum and my brothers are like tiny. They're like um, very petite. And my dad is like really big and tall. And so I was like the fat one in the family. And so um, up until the age of 11, everything was fine. Went to primary school, all of that good stuff. But secondary school happened and puberty happened and I was being bullied um, like on my first day of school all the way up until um, I finished school. Um, And it wasn't just um, words. It was also sort of being beaten up and um, having, you know, acid thrown on me and having people throw stuff at me. Yeah. So when I used to do chemistry, um, there was a particular incident when I was partnered up with somebody in our chemistry class and our teacher went out to another room and one of the boys that bullied me um threw a corrosive liquid um which I think I can't remember the name of the acid but it wasn't like a strong strong one but it was strong enough to kind of burn Burn my neck which is why my neck is a bit darker than the rest of my body but he poured it 
um, on the back of my neck as I was working. Um, and that was like a whole thing in secondary school. Um, and it was there that I was taught how to hate my body and how different my body was to all of the other girls growing up. Um, I then developed depression when I was 14. Um, I started doing um, a lot of self-harm. I started um, sort of throwing up after I ate, sort of going through the whole um, eating disorder process. But because I'm fat, you didn't see, people didn't see it as an eating disorder. They saw it as me doing something good for my weight. So Mm. regardless of the fact that I was throwing up, regardless of the fact that I was calorie controlling and, you know, my mom put me on Weight Watchers when I was 12 or 13 and I started eating 800 calories a day. And I was really doing everything possible in order to lose the weight people didn't see it as a disorder. And so these um, emotions manifested as I grew up and the dieting became a lot more extreme. I never wore anything strapless. Didn't start wearing dresses until I was 20, I think. Um, and and it was not fucking into- brilliant in them, by the way. Oh, thanks so much. Because she's I also a style I, like I mean, a lot of people are <laughs> listening to this, but if anyone's watching it, we're fucking dressed the same today. We're dressed Look the same. It's like... Give a it's like stand. something out of a, a it's stand. like something out of a giving you some boobs, giving you sort of death becomes her. Yeah, I was today. just gonna say it's death becomes her. Oh my god, we look like we're trying to get late laid at a funeral. Um, May, oh god. <laughs> And so, okay, so you were, that's such an interesting, that's such an interesting point. The one about the fact that eating disorders can exist outside of people who are just, who weigh 90 pounds. No one, Mm. no one looks at anyone other than that as having an eating disorder. Whereas I'd say most of the people I know who definitely have disordered eating are all uh, big enough that one would think that they have things under control. If not, some people think that they're not doing enough. Yeah, it's an interesting one because even within, it seems like even within that community, not, I don't want to call it community, but that world of eating disorders, there's still a standard of beauty there. And that is slim white woman and yeah. anything that falls outside of that, it's you're more, you're less likely to be believed, even with men, less likely to be believed. It has to be something else. It can't be an eating disorder. Yeah. And so um, I went through that for about five or six years and then um, I went to New York um, after I graduated from uni. Um, I'd started my blog around that time, but it was mostly me talking about um, tech and comic books and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I went to New York for three months. So I stayed in, where did I stay? In Harlem. And I was staying above uh, these um, women who were downstairs. There were three um, plus size black women and they were the most unapologetic beautiful, confident women I had ever seen in my life. And they were dressed up to the nines, looking amazing and so confident. And in my head, I was like, that's what I want. That's what I want to, you know, that's what I want to do. I'm, I don't want to be wearing leggings and cardigans on the beach. Like I want to embrace my body and my stretch marks and my roles. And I would talk to them every day and, you know, they would give me, you know, amazing bits of advice on, you know, learning how to love my body. Do you remember so any of that back, advice? Um, a lot of it was just, I mean, the main thing that I took from that was 
to just be, to take up space and to be loud and don't ever diminish yourself either mentally, physically or emotionally in order to make people that have privilege feel better about themselves. Mm. And that was the thing that really stuck with me. And so when I came back to the UK, I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing this fashion thing because I love fashion. And, you know, a couple of stores that I like have just started doing plus size. So um, me being able to express my identity through fashion really helped me learn how to love my body. And it also taught me that I have such a long way to go to unlearn all of the toxic fat phobic thoughts that I had been harvesting my whole life. And mm-hmm. so I started to talk about that on my blog and combine it with mental health. Um, and I also st- started to talk about the things that I would observe on TV, you know, how we're portrayed, represent- representation um, and all of these other bits and pieces that I thought, hang on a minute, this isn't cool. I want to see more of this. There should be more of this. Um, And so I came across the fat acceptance movement on Tumblr. Um, And back then it was just, it was amazing. It was just full of photos of all of these plus size black women. Some of them were naked. Some Mm. of them were half naked. Some of them had written these amazing, beautiful poems about their bodies. And I just became submerged in it. And as soon as I got in there, I didn't look back because I thought, oh my gosh, there are women that are shaped like me, but they are like rocking this outfit and they are showing their stretch marks and they don't have the typical or the socially acceptable hourglass shaped body, but yet they love themselves and they are full of so much joy. And that's what I want. I feel safe in this environment. This is what I have needed my whole life. And so that's what kind of started the ball rolling for me. It's so interesting that you talk about taking up space. I think that's something that I think about a lot and I wonder why when I was younger and I was chubby, uh, what it was about me in particular that felt like I had to starve myself more than any of the other girls. I went to school predominantly full of white girls and I Mm. think there was a part of me that already felt different for having darker skin and so therefore you don't want to draw any attention to yourself. And I was super tall. Yeah. And I think there was a part of me that didn't just want to be thin so I could look like the models and the magazines and and uh, attract the boys, but also because I was because I was trying to just disappear almost like a wallflower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to be yeah. the target of anyone's uh, of anyone's cruel words. I just didn't want anyone to see me because I wasn't white. It's a, it's a multi-layered thing, isn't it? Because it's mm. like when you are, it's like you're already chubby or fat and then you add being dark on top of that it's just so many targets for people to hit so it's like you kind of want to eliminate the one that you have the most control of at that time so that you feel Mm -hmm. less visible and a lot of the time weight is the one where I guess we have the most control of in regards to restriction and eating and exercise and things like that and yeah I definitely see where you're coming from in terms of sort of combining race and ethnicity with being plus size as well. Well, also let's talk about race and ethnicity within the body positive movement, because that is also (laughs) something that comes up. You know, we don't see a lot of dark skinned plus size women. And I know that you've definitely been on a journey throughout your life uh, with your skin colour. And and I know that you've spoken before about like using bleaching products and stuff. You've been incredibly open about that. And I think that's also a really interesting conversation about where you're at now with Mm. being a beautiful, dark-skinned black woman because the representation is still fucking minimal. Yeah. Yeah. It's always always mixed-race people or, like, more light-skinned people or it is people also who have the, like, who have the hourglass, the Ashley Grahams, 
and people yeah. like that who who still the have the kind of yeah <laughs> exactly and no disrespect to those women they are out there doing things that are uh, progressive and and I'm sure were incredibly challenging for them but that has become the acceptable archetype for the plus size woman and we still aren't mm-hmm. seeing women who are I guess the term is is this offensive the apple shape which I think is personally gorgeous and lovely but people who yeah. don't have a tiny waist and so yeah. talk to me about your journey with your skin color yeah so with my skin color so in um most of well not most of maybe a few countries in western africa and in asia as well like skin bleaching is a huge deal mm. and that's mostly left over from the colonial times and the british um because i'm from ghana and so um britain um invaded ghana colonized it and so sort of unlike implemented- britain god i know god so weird god <laughs> And so they um, sort of, you know, left over these horrible ideologies that white is right, the lighter you are, the better you are. And Mm. so all of these things. And so within our culture, it's just been a thing where if you want to be successful, if you want people to like you, if you want to be attractive, you need to be light skinned, mixed race. That was what was... um, Drummed into Beautiful, us. Yeah. Drummed into us. You know, I'd watch, come home from school, watch, you know, MTV Bass. Um, that's such a throwback. Oh my God, <laughs> no. I lived on MTV Bass. Trevor Nelson is I God. Loved, <laughs> yes, I love him. And you'd watch all of these like R&B and hip hop videos, with, like, you know, darker skin rappers using lighter skinned or Latina women. And it's just like, what is so wrong about my my skin t- my skin type? And so similar to what you said earlier about trying to minimize yourself at school, yeah. um, for me it was it it was the same as well. So I was you know plus size and, and darker skinned, and I remember there was a girl at my secondary school who was in the year above me, and she was perhaps maybe a size smaller than me, but she was light skinned. And I just remember, you know, maybe she was, you know, a lot more confident in herself, but she never got picked on. She never got bullied, you know, all the boys fancied her. And I was just like, what, but uh, what about, what about me? It must be my skin tone. Cause in secondary school, a lot of the time, you know, having, um, being with a lighty quote unquote was the trend at the time. And, um, after school, I would go to the local black hair shop, pick up some um, pick up uh, some bleaching cream, which had um, a banned ingredient in there, but they would sell them under the shelves. Um, and I would come home and I would start bleaching every time I would have a shower when I would moisturize. Instead of the uh, cocoa butter or the moisturizer that I would use, I would use this uh, bleaching cream. And it went on for a couple of years until I started to see my skin um it started to get lighter. But what I found was that it was this really horrible sort of phlegm coloured kind of grey. It was just a gross, it looked unhealthy, basically. It was an unhealthy, lighter shade. Um, And I could tell that my skin was just, it was horrible. It was deteriorating. Like, um, yeah, it was, it was a really harsh time. Also, it stung a lot. I would zero out of 10, not recommend. Um, because of the high amount of mercury, I'm assuming, and there were quite high amounts. Jesus, and so, so bad for you. It's it's incredibly prevalent in my country. Um, and mm. so, because uh, for us, and I don't know if this is a shared uh, belief, but um, in Pakistan and India, if you are dark skinned, then the connotation is that you are someone who works outside. You are someone who has a job yeah. in which you work yeah. outside. And therefore that's why you're darker and you are associated with a lower caste. You are associated with poverty. 
And so they don't, but also weirdly, if you are thin, you look poor. So they don't like thin, they don't particularly mm. tend to favour thin women. They like curvier women because it's a sign of wealth. Yeah. It's like you have the money to eat, but also you better be light skinned so that we know that you've been inside not doing any gardening. This is exactly so the same. Oh fucking, my God. It's so fucking twist. It's so fucking twisted. Yeah. And and the way that it it sort of just drips through each generation is so fascinating to me. And the 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 fucking adverts oh my god these are the adverts that we have over there which is like you've got the you've got two indian guys and one's lighter skinned and one's darker skinned and the darker skinned guy walks past some girls and they all ignore him and some of them look at him with disgust Mm -hmm. so then the hot one hands him this white is right type product this bleaching product Mm -hmm. so he tries it he comes back light skinned and suddenly all the girls are throwing themselves all over him it's such a cultural sickness that just and I understand it. I'm not judging anyone who does it, but it further perpetuates our <laughs> epidemic of of colorism that is still going on yeah. now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. It's exactly the same in in Ghana and some parts of Nigeria as well. It's like you are nothing if you are not lighter skinned. You are poor. You are destitute. Mm-hmm. Again, as well, if you are slim as well, it's like you know you come from a poor family. You're not eating. All of these things, and so it took for my skin to start, you know, displaying really horrible sort of um, symptoms for me to be like, okay, I need to stop doing this because it's so accepted in our, in our culture. Um, And I was so weirded out by the fact that nobody was doing anything about this. It was just like, well, yeah, if you want to be successful, you need to lighten your skin. Um, And so I stopped doing it and it took about maybe eight months to a year for it to come back to its original color. So it it did eventually come back, thank God. Um, But after that experience, I was like, why am I damaging myself for the opinions of people that don't know or like or love me? It just didn't make sense Mm -hmm. in my head as to why I was doing it. And so, um, yeah, I stopped doing that. You've sort of given your entire attitude towards your exterior skin and, and flesh a full MOT, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, my teens was an interesting time. Oh my God, it's like a war zone inside our brains. Yeah. And we're roughly it's the same age. How old are you? 30. Yeah, right. So I'm 34. Like we grew up around the same time with the same, same icons. Age, yeah. We were there when fucking J-Lo was considered curvy. Do you remember? It's like, and, 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 you know, just, so and do you remember thinking back on it now? People, and, and, like, like, and you really? watch, and you watch back all the films of like all the JLo films. There's no, no disrespect to JLo whatsoever, you know, but it's, uh, I would watch back all of her films and all the jokes are about her thighs or her being big or someone not being able to carry her. Like, do you remember mm-hmm. that actually? And Martine McCutcheon being considered like oh, thunder thighs. My, In fact, Bridget Jones's diary, like slim Renee Zellweger going for a jog, looking thin, <laughs> but all the jokes are about it's her weight. Terrible. It was mad. So I remember thinking Kate Winslet was big and uh, and, and like I was like, oh, she's my representation. <laughs> like a, yeah, I know. She's a UK, US size six. It was mad. It's weird, isn't it? The so fatphobia was rampant back then. Yes, of course we're fucking fucked. Well done for getting <laughs> out of all this shit. And, and you know, oh, thank you. I honestly, I've, I've suffered with uh, an eating disorder for maybe 20 years now, but it's been a very, very interesting journey. And I'm so glad to have this conversation with someone who has lived a very different experience inside of that, because I think it's important to know about. We're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to come back. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love, Beauty, and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. And we're back. Okay, so we're just going to pivot back now towards uh, fat acceptance and representation. I want to talk to you about... Dating. It's something you've been very candid about publicly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've talked about how you've had to fight for your own sense of self-acceptance, which is a huge fucking journey. Um, but let's also talk about the acceptance of others towards you, because that's a separate fight. Not only are you fighting to love yourself, you're also fighting for acceptance from others. Mm-hmm. What's your experience been like with dating? Um, to put it simply, just a cesspit of fuckery. It's been <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's just that's your next book it, title. <laughs> honestly, like it's actually in the book. I had to use that line because I was like, it's just it's been terrible. And I I, I kind of want to sort of make a point that obviously this doesn't apply to every single plus size woman because there are plus size women in amazing, you know, loving relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's just been um a case of existing in my body in two sort of parallels. So on one hand, I'm invisible, completely invisible because of how I look. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I'm hyper visible um, in the fetish 
hypersexual way. Mm -hmm. So from my teens up until the age of 25, absolutely, you know, no action, no dating, nothing. My first boyfriend was, uh, when I was 25, my first everything, actually, he was my first kiss, my first, like everything. Mm -hmm. Um, we were together for two years. Um, and then he broke up with me because he said I wasn't the right type of fat, (laughs) which is, yeah. So he, he didn't have a fetish for plus size women, but he liked bigger girls. And, um, even though my body didn't change after two years, he kind of up and said, you know, he likes an hourglass shape, um, which at the time I was still on my body positivity, self-love journey. Mm. So when I was hearing that, and you know, this is with somebody that I thought I was going to build a life with, and you know, we had a great relationship, it broke me completely. So, uh, yeah, 2017 was just a terrible year in terms of my confidence. My self-esteem had crumbled. I thought to myself, I'm never going to meet anybody. Nobody likes how I look. Mm. Um, after a few months, you know, I, Actually, it took me two years to get over that relationship. But in the interim, I thought, let me try and put myself back out there, go out with some friends, try and develop a bit more confidence, go on the apps. And uh, how are the apps? Yeah, it's the apps, the apps. They are, uh, I I mean, which one am I not on? I'm on all, I've just hedged my bets. (laughs) I'm on all of them. And um, for the most part, it seems to be the case of I match with somebody then they somehow find my Instagram because a lot of the time you can link your Instagram or something mm-hmm. to the app. They find my Instagram, they comment on the fact that I'm plus size, even though I have full length pictures on my profile uh, and then they unmatch. So that's kind of like the cycle of what I get. Um, I've gone they on a comment on you dates. as if you've somehow tried to catfish them. Yeah. So they're like, oh, I didn't know that you were this big. And I was like, I'm, I'm literally wearing a dress, full length dress in my profile picture. Like, I mean, I just, I don't get it. But um, when it comes to apps, those are the kind of things that happen. I tend to, you know, I don't really tend to get matched a lot on there. Um, The times when I have matched and I've gone out on a couple of dates, there was one date that I... Oh God, there was one I know date. about this one. Yeah, go on, tell, tell us. <laughs> Wait, which one? Oh my God, there's okay. a few. Okay, there was one give, date give me your top on. three. Give me your top three, mate. <laughs> the top three? Yeah. Okay. So the, the first one was... Um, this is the top we, three cesspit fuckery dates that I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So the first one was, um, so we went out, uh, I can't remember, somewhere in Clapham. And before this, we had followed each other on Twitter. And as we were going on the date, we were having a great time, you know, getting to know each other. And then he went to the, the bathroom. I checked my phone. I, I think he tried to block me, but he didn't realize at the time that I could still read his um, timeline because I noticed that I was suddenly not following him any, anymore. So I think he did that thing where he soft blocked me. You know, when they block you and then they unblock you so that you don't follow them. Oh, no, I didn't know about thing. that. I'm going to do that. Yeah, go on. Oh, gosh. Not yeah, to that's you. Like such a- <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like that's like a huge thing. Um, and so I realized I wasn't following him anymore. I was like, oh, let me just pop onto his timeline. Only to find that, when he was in the bathroom, he was texting our date live and he was saying, oh, I've just met with this fat chick. I didn't know that she was this huge, but I'm still going to try and <gasps> fuck anyway, see what it's like. And um, Oof, Steph. I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I, I really had to try and keep it together. He came back to the table and all I did was show him a screenshot of what I just read and I got up and left the table, never heard from him again, blocked him all of that, all of that stuff. Um, Good. Yeah, that was, 
that was uh, really horrible. Yeah. Um, I've been on a couple more dates where I've met up with the person and as I'm walking towards them, they're like, oh, sorry, you're not my type. And they've walked off. Mm. Um, there was one where I... I uh... This is bananas though, because like no one can see you right now because they're listening on the podcast perhaps, but you're so fucking beautiful. Oh, stop. No, oh, but you are. But, no, but you actually are. Like you're actually oh, a beautiful person. And so that just makes no, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Go on. So what was the next I know. one? So the next one, which is uh, number two, is uh, I met up with this guy. It was like a one night stand kind of thing. So I've never really done anything like that, but I was like, oh, let me just, let me just try it and see. Yeah. Did it. Um, so he came to my flat. He was talking about the fact that he lived in like this really big house on his own and he was really rich and all of that kind of stuff. And I was teasing him throughout. I was like, oh, why are you so rich? Why are you? Oh, gosh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. Oh, fuck it. I don't care. Um, Oh, (laughs) fuck this guy. Truly. I don't care. So throughout the day, I'd been teasing him about the fact that he was um, really rich or whatever. And so after we'd done the do, I was like, oh, so, you know, how come you have this like seven bedroom house in Putney or whatever the case may be? And he said, oh, it was um, gifted to me from my uh, from my parents. It was gifted to them by the grandparents and so on and so forth. And I was like, OK, ha- but why? Where did the money come from? That's when I should have just said nothing at all, because he then went on to say that, um, well, the the. The story that everybody knows is that my great, great, great grandparents used to trade in sugar, but actually they were slave owners in Jamaica. Um, So that's where I got all my money from. And my grandparents supported apartheid. So that's the reason that I date black um, plus size women, because I have a lot of white guilt. I hope you don't mind, Steph. We were in bed at the time and it had just clocked that I had just slept with a colonizer. And I was like, considering what I do in regards to all the social justice things, I was like, I need to take this to my grave. This is what the fuck. This is, well, I'm saying it now. It's not your fucking fault, but f- <laughs> Jesus. Even thinking about it now, I cringe because I'm like the way he just said it, just so casually, confidently. Also, also, as if it's like that's his reparations is to give you his white dick. That's very strange. It was yeah. very shit. <laughs> no, it was shit. I'm sorry. I, I was like, I went through all of that for like two minutes. Yeah, it was. Just- <laughs> The shittiest thing ever. I oh was so disappointed. Goodness. And so that was the thing that happened, um, which looking back, I, I find it quite funny. But at the time I was like, this is not, this is no, that's, pure that's fetishization. Histo- histo- historically uh, horrifying. Um, he has a bit of like jungle fever. Like, don't bring it my way. I don't want any of it. No, I know. Fucking disgusting. <laughs> and, then, and then there was the date where you found out about a bet. Yeah. So this is, yeah. So this is the one that I've spoken about um, in public and that was the one that went viral. And basically um, this is a guy that I've met on an app and he was very nice. He seemed really lovely. It was um, around the time where I was still a bit, uh, I wasn't good at trusting guys a lot. At this time, it was my first date in about a year or so. So I was very nervous and, you know, didn't really know what he was about, but he seemed nice. And so we've been on our first date and, um, it was lovely. Like I was really looking out for like fuck boy signs. <laughs> I was mm. really, really looking out for it, but everything he did was great. He even bought me a present with like a little 
aloe vera which I thought was really cute because we were talking about plants beforehand um he was telling me that he told all of his friends about me and which I should have seen as a bit of a red flag but anyway um saying that I was a blogger and all of these things um first date was great went home chatted thought he was cool met up for the second date that was also great um the third date we slept together um and then afterwards didn't hear back from him again and I just thought to myself, well, I guess that's just dating. People are just, you know, didn't really think too much of it. I was just like, eh, okay, fine. Cut to a couple of months later, I'm, you know, it must have been like 10 p.m. I'm on Twitter, as per usual, arguing with people. (laughs) You and I I have that in common. (laughs) (laughs) And and, um, I get this email from this guy and I called James and I'm like, fuck is James. So I log into the email and basically the email says, hi Steph, you don't know me, but I am name redacted's friend. Um, he told us about you when he was coming on the date with you. Um, I just wanted to let you know that the reason that, um, you haven't heard back from him was because we dared him to go on a date and sleep with a fat girl. Um, he ended up winning 300 pounds. Um, and the reason that I wanted to share this with you, um, I don't want you to be too upset, uh, but the reason I wanted to share this with you is because I've read up on some of the stuff that you do and you know, that you're an activist. And, um, this recently happened to like, I think a friend or a cousin of his, who was plus size that recently happened to her. And it's had me thinking about how we treated you. And I know you don't know me, but I just wanted to let you know that that's the reason why you hadn't heard back from him. Um, and I, I read it and I reread it and I checked the email address to see if it was like a fake email address. And then I just reread it again. And I just burst what into tears because I was like, feel like, what did that feel? There's so many layers. My heart to that. just started hammering against my chest because I felt so humiliated yeah. and so objectified, dehumanized to think that, you know, this is somebody that, you know, potentially I thought he could be really cool person to date only saw me as like a piece of meat, like a, like a dare, um, like a joke. Um, it just made me feel like, is this it for me? Am I not worthy of finding true love? Am I not worthy of being desired? Am I only just going to be, you know, um, approached by people that have fetishes or people that want to win dares, um, or like, old old ass uncles like yeah, it makes you this... feel it makes you feel like you're in a fucking circus yeah it made it made me feel like a zoo animal and I was just like is this all I'm good for like am I not worthy of finding love or being found attractive and I just cried for like two hours and then I wrote a tweet on Twitter where I quote tweeted myself um because when I went on the date I tweeted on that evening like my makeup and how I looked and I said oh this is the first date that I've been on in how many months and I'm so nervous so I quote tweeted it and I said uh, by the way guys update he only went out with me because da 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 um and at this time when I didn't hear back from him, I blocked him on everything. Cause that's what I tend to do. Like if I don't hear back from someone, I'm like, what's the point of you being Existing on my phone? In my so head. I yeah. blocked. Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't have any way to contact him. Didn't want to contact him anyway. I didn't want that conversation. Um, and so that tweet started to go, it started to pick up numbers and I was like, eh, okay. And when I tweeted it, it was funny because that is such a common thing that happens within the plus size community. So when I tweeted it, I didn't think that it was going to go viral because again, the, the people that I follow, I forget 
are majority within the plus size community. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it feels like I'm just talking to like 30 people on Twitter. Um, but then it started to pick up numbers and then it went, yeah, it kind of went and viral. I remember, and then- I remember the comment section of that because the comment section wasn't just, it wasn't as many people being horrified as it was also so many people having shared experiences. Yeah. That was the thing that was really striking to me is that for so many, that would be such a shocking situation. And yet it, it, it shed light on the fact that this is a common practice of, of uh, abuse of women within that community. Yeah. And, and one thing that I found out as well, um, when that whole thing was going on, cause I, I went off of Twitter, I think for like three or four days. And so I received loads of emails from women all over the world who this had happened to. And one common thing that I found, which I think I saw it in about maybe 36 emails mm-hmm. so much so that I had to Google it because I had to make sure that it was like, like what the fuck. Um, was this thing called Fat Girl Rodeo, which is also a thing that men do and which is a dare. And basically, um, bit of a trigger warning here, but it's basically when men dare their friends to have sex with a fat girl. And then while they're having sex, they whisper something really fat phobic into the girl's ear. And then they time how long they can stay inside the girl before she throws them off. And that's the thing. Oh my God. So whoever, whoever's got the longest time God. wins the money. So it's basically <sighs> like rape, but it's fine because we're fat. We, we, we're not going to get anything better. So let's just deal with it. That's such an interesting <laughs> point, by the way, because there's definitely such uh I remember when I was um, fat as a teenager, the only kind of boys <laughs> who would ever show me any kind of attention were the ones who felt like they didn't have a chance with anyone else and I would be grateful for whatever I was given. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They would make no effort. They'd be super creepy and scary with me. And it was just like, you will eat what you're given. Yeah. You will eat this rotten, moldy dick. (laughs) (laughs) Because you'll eat anything. Um, And so that is a really interesting thing of the fact that I think some some people can treat a fat person's body as a sort of dog's body, where it's just like, you know, and that also you know, you and I have spoken about this privately before, but massive part of all of this comes from representation, right? We have seen throughout the whole of not only pornography, but especially in film, there is such a, there is such a tale of always the, uh, the bigger man with a slender woman. We've seen that be normalized forever. Yeah. Yeah. But we've never seen much of the bigger woman with the slender man or with anyone really normally if there's a woman who is bigger on screen she's she's not even got a love life and she's just there just sort of wanking on her own like cheering on her thin friend as she goes off on her string of dates there's no there's the the dialogue is missing for for fat women finding love unless it's a joke unless she's had had a concussion and therefore is now dating someone uh, very slender and handsome and successful. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's always some sort of injury involved for a fat woman to find love to, in film. To, or to be confident. In order yeah. for her to be confident, she must have had to hit her head or you know, yeah. suffer some kind of memory loss because yeah. why, why can fat, how can fat people be confident? It's not a thing. And why else would she be the protagonist otherwise rather than just the funny fat friend? exactly exactly there's there's and I think there has to be a change within representation and Mm. and how we're seen because we can 
I'm just so tired of that trope of the funny, uh, the funny fat friend who doesn't have their own character arc. All they do is exist to support the slimmer friend or the, the more attractive friend. And it really sends a message to society that fat women, well, yeah, fat, I was going to say fat men, but like you said, we see a lot of normalized fat men with slim women. My first even boyfriend, in cartoon. Yeah, my first boyfriend was 10 stone heavier than me and no one blinked. Truly, like, yeah. no one thought that that was a big deal at all that he was yeah. three times my size. We were just a couple. And I think people just assumed that I must just be really in love with him. But I know mm. that the other way around, that's considered shocking to some. That's considered shocking. And then you get a documentary made on it on yeah. TLC. Oh my which, God, yeah. Which is a, is a whole other thing. But yeah, I think even, you know, Family Guy, American Dad, cartoons, you're seeing fat men and slim women. Mm-hmm. But the other way around, it's like women's bodies are policed so much that it's like, it's it's almost like a disgusting kind of uh, circus when it's a fat woman and um, a slim guy. When I was in my first and only relationship, my ex at the time was very like slim, athletic. And the comments that we would get on Instagram and in real life as well, I would have women chatting him up in front of me because they must've thought that, I don't know, I was a colleague or something like that. <laughs> um, and I just wish that we could stop this trope of, fat women only existing to highlight um, how amazing um, this uh, socially acceptable body is. It's about time that we had our own stories to tell because fat women are not a monolith. We uh, are not homogenous. We have our own lives. We can be successful. Mm -hmm. We can be, you know, beautiful. We can have the great jobs. We can have um, a beautiful love life. We can have kids. We cry and laugh at the same things. We are not, you know, an alien race. And, you know, the one time that I saw a plus size woman um, having a sex scene with a slim man was on an episode of Empire. Um, this was Gabby. Uh, it was with Gabby. Yeah. Like a few years ago. And I remember watching that and I was like, yes, this is what I've been wanting to see. This is like the representation we need. Plus size, darker skinned black woman looking amazing, living her best life mm-hmm. until I hop onto Twitter and the comments were just Oh my God, the comments, the pictures, the memes that were sent, I just, that really hurt my heart. But I think Gabby uh, took it very well. She did. But I imagine that must have really hurt her in her soul. Yeah, like we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to go through this. Fat women can be sexy. Like we've got women like Lizzo, who, I mean, she is just out there just representing for us and being amazing. But yet even she is still being policed by like Diddy for twerking on camera or you buy people, you know, who go to a basketball game and start complaining that, you know, she's got her ass cheeks out when you've got cheerleaders who have got the same thing out, but because they're slimmer, it's not a problem. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just wish that we could stop this whole sort of almost mammification as well, because when so we're not hypersexualized. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, so we have these two kind of uh, stereotypes of the fat woman, in particular with the fat black woman, where mm-hmm. she is either, as you were just about to say, I believe, the mammy, so which is like, yeah. I'm asexual. I'm just here to like make everyone laugh and feed everyone and look after everyone. And I'm going to, yeah. my, my shoulders are just here. They're not here to be rubbed. They're here to like soak up everyone else's tears. Yeah. And so or you have or you have uh the the hypersexual, like hypersexual sort of like bordering on pervert 
uh, yeah. sort of like you <laughs> yeah. know randy uh, woman who who is just desperate for sex with absolutely anyone. The way that she looks at men as if they are like a, a piece of uh, you know like a piece of meat, and the way that she speaks and how desperate she is, and just as if she's just twenty four seven. Fat women are just thinking about sex all day. Mm. That's mm. the trope that we've seen throughout all of these movies and even when you know mm. you and I were talking about earlier and even in films where you have men playing fat women those are always the two stereotypes that they will stick to yeah yeah if it's not you know big mama's house then it's Respucia from Norbit you know oh my God, yeah. very hypersexual very uh mammified I think you know I think the mammy thing does play into race a lot more, but it's just this thing of we cannot exist as normal people. We have to be at one end or the other. I get that in society, sometimes the portrayal of plus size women as being hypersexual. I can get how that can be um, empowering for some women, Mm -hmm. of course, but when it gets to the point where it's almost like a fetish and when it's almost like a pornography um, type thing, that's when it becomes worrying because we are so much more than almost having this hunger, (laughs) no pun intended, this hunger to have dick all the time. Like that's not the be all and end all of being a plus size woman. We also want the love that comes with that dick. We want the romance, you know, we want to be, we want to be, told that we're beautiful and we want to be told that we matter and that you know we will be loved um, unconditionally we want to be told all of these things it's not just about the penis or, or the vagina and equally this whole sort of asexuality asexuality of plus size black women especially matriarchs and older um, plus size black women is so damaging it's it's just yeah, I think it's something that's very much rooted in a lot of, you know, racist Hollywood tropes as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, descending from, you know, the slave era and all of these things. And, you know, the women at the time were only good for one thing, which is breeding um, or looking after the kids. And that mm-hmm. is something that has stayed so strong in Hollywood. We either breed or we're looking after the kids. And there has to be some kind of medium to that. There has to be. One can be very loving and amazing and, you know, giving, but we can also have sex appeal, but it doesn't have to be the two extremes. We can exist with both things and be fully fledged human beings. Absolutely. Really well said. Um, All right, we're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to come back. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And we're back. Okay, so we've discussed representation. We have discussed the definite need for body positivity. And uh, and also, this is something that you and I sort of uh, 
crossed paths with negatively like years ago at the very beginning of our relationship where we had this sort of uh, tug of war over the fact that I was personally saying that I couldn't I couldn't subscribe to body positivity because I uh, I can't get to positivity about something that society has taught me so much to hate, right? I, I have to get to, I personally have to get to a place of neutrality um, mm. because I don't know with the amount of body dysmorphia I have and two decades mm. of eating disorder, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get to love my body. And I recognise that I'm saying this as a slender person who is societally living within confines where I'm not subjected to medical discrimination or to mm. general societal abuse over my size. But I couldn't, I can't get to neutrality. And I think that um, I would love for you to explain the importance of body positivity when mm-hmm. it is used for the people that it was actually designed for. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. I think so with body positivity, it first kind of started, it showed its head in the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, but it was a very small movement at the time. Um, I think it ha- I think it went on for maybe like five, six or seven years or so. Mm -hmm. And it was started by predominantly black women um, and Jewish women as well. And then trends started to come in. So we had like the surfer trend and it kind of went back to, you know, being all about Farrah Fawcett, Hollywood coming out of the water, you know, all of these um, trends that we had in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Didn't really see a lot to do with body positivity or fat acceptance until I want to say... 2007, 2008. Um, at least that's when I started to recognize it. And at the time it was under the term fat acceptance. And where we found this was on places such as Instagram and Tumblr and live journal and all of these and and blogger.com and all of these micro blogging sites where people had the opportunity to really, you know, talk about their bodies and how different they looked and celebrate other women that looked like them. So when this movement started, a lot of people were using um, hashtag fat acceptance, especially on Tumblr. And what it became was it became a community to uplift and to highlight uh, plus size women. Um, It was created by plus size black women, but it was a community where specifically fat women could come and talk about their fatness and the things that they faced in a safe space filled with women that looked like them. So it was a very tight community. Um, There were also loads of communities on Facebook as well under the fat acceptance um, hashtag. And then after about a year or so, um, the community started to use the body positivity term. So a lot of us started to use it um, interchangeably, so fat acceptance, body positivity. And the body positivity community was to... Um, um, to celebrate bodies that didn't have societal privilege. And so for the most part, it did stem from plus size, you know, larger fat bodies, disabled bodies, Mm -hmm. um, bodies that are not seen as as, uh, westernized uh, standard of beauty, aesthetically pleasing or what have you. Um, And it was 2011 to 2012, where a lot of influencers started getting involved. So that's when we kind of had the rise um, in the UK and the US of plus size influencers. So we've had people such as Gabby Fresh, who I know you've had on your mm-hmm. show before, who I love her. She's she's like one of the one of my idols in terms mm-hmm. of the, the movement. Um, Nicolette Mason. Cece um, Olisa. 
yeah, Kelly B, so many um, amazing American um, plus size women um, who started blogs and journals just talking about fashion and being fat and dating and all of these things. And it slowly came over to the UK as well. Um, and so a lot of us started creating plus size blogs. And what happened was when brands started realizing that, oh, it's not just skinny bloggers and, and slim bloggers who we can sort of use to create content. We can actually use plus size bloggers as well. Um, we started to see brands create plus size clothing, which was great. I think that's one of the great things about body positivity is that it really kickstarted a lot of mainstream brands to start mm-hmm. incorporating plus size into their into their thing. Um, and then we noticed that body positivity hashtag was starting to become a lot more prominent. Um, it was such a it was such a positive space for people to just celebrate themselves mm-hmm. and post up pictures of themselves in bikinis and um, underwear because our aim was to normalize fat bodies. Mm-hmm. So the same way you open a Victoria's Secret catalog and see, you know, slim women in bikinis and stuff, we wanted to see the same for plus size women because we thought, well, if we're going to have the representation that we deserve and if we want to be treated like normal human beings, we have to start seeing ourselves in the media. So a lot of us started, you know, posting pictures of ourselves in bikinis and all of that kind of stuff. It was all great. And then what we noticed was, um, brands and casting agencies started picking up on body positivity. But the problem was, was that we, the bodies that we existed in weren't seen as sexy to Mm -hmm. the public. They needed somebody, they needed spokespeople that were, you know, a bit heavier, but were still seen as really fuckable. And so that's where you have the hourglass shape, the Ashley Grahams, you know, the still straight bums, flat stomachs, you know, all of things. And so these women became the, um, they became the spokespeople of body positivity. Uh, All of these bodies that had societal privilege and that were seen as um, socially acceptable were now speaking for us and what we found was that fatter bodies no longer had a safe space for us to celebrate ourselves because what body positivity had done was it created a new standard of beauty so in order for brands to work with plus size influencers you normally had to be white high cheekboned flat stomach big bum and just very very beautiful and so a lot of people who were in the body positivity movement just started retracting and started going back to, you know, started using the fat acceptance hashtag because it was like, well, this movement is no longer for us. It doesn't well, serve us anymore. We also, don't get the representation. It, it went beyond the fucking, uh, it, it went beyond the, uh, just the having the slightly more curvaceous models and actresses mm. being made the spokespeople. It became thin people. Yeah. With abs, you know, like people from Made in Chelsea in like, yeah, in a, like with their, yeah, Fitzpiration, but hashtag body positivity. I mean, I am a good example of what happened, like, which I was completely out of control of. I'd come out the gate saying that I can't do body positivity because I can't love myself. I don't want to think about my body, right? Which is a whole mm-hmm. other, we, we can get into this for like two seconds, but I mm-hmm. recognize that there's a difference where there is a great privilege in even being able to say, I don't want to think about my body. If you are someone mm-hmm. who is bigger than society says is acceptable, you don't have that luxury. You don't have that privilege of saying, well, I don't want to think about my body uh, because the world continues to remind you of your body all day, every day, yeah. everywhere you fucking go, everywhere, every doctor that you go to won't listen to your symptoms and will dismiss everything 
everything as just your weight and everything as your fault and may insinuate that you are lazy and you are to blame. And therefore I've had tons of friends. This even happened to me when I was younger, uh, when I was um, bigger, that like things like polycystic ovaries and endometriosis in my friends yeah. and all these different things, like all of these different conditions get missed because all the doctors are obsessed with is the exterior and they look at fat and health as a direct correlation, which we can get into yeah. in a second. But I just wanted to explain because I know a lot of people, uh, when I got centred as like the face of body positivity, no matter how many times I begged for people not to do that, um, I would see people defend me online just being like, body positivity should be for everyone. Mm. And I think you and I both did the work there to be like, no, and so did every other great fat activist in the world say that no, for anyone listening to this, body positivity, we all, we do want everyone to love their bodies, but the body positivity movement is a specific socio-political movement that isn't for people who aren't literally constantly discriminated against. They have to love their bodies because of how much the world hates their bodies currently, which we're hoping mm. will be a shift. I'm not fat splaining to you just so you know no. <laughs> no, I'm, not. I'm just saying that for anyone else out there who who knows or feels like they should defend me because it is completely correct that there's been a pushback against me as the face of body positivity trust me I have found it as frustrating and upsetting as anyone else especially because um you remember this back in 2012 when I gained like five stone and got hounded by the media and ridiculed for like six months and like pictures of my fucking bare ass when I was bending over to pick up my keys outside my house were on the cover of Now magazine and Closer and all these different tabloids. I couldn't escape it. And so at that time, rather than get a trainer or lose weight or do one of the diet sort of uh, endorsements, I was like, I'm staying big. I'm keeping this. I like this. I'm having a great mm. life. I'm going to figure out a way to embrace this body and push back and start in activism. And I, you know, I had a little bit of movement. I got to speak at parliament. I released a couple of clothing, uh, clothing lines uh, mm -hmm. back in the day. And uh, I was speaking about all the same things that I'm saying now, but no one listened to me really back then, Steph, because I yeah. was big. So they mostly... People would call me jealous, bitter, lazy. They'd say, well, you've lost your figure. So that's why now you're mm. fighting against beauty standards. And so what's frustrating for me is that now I'm slim again because the years have passed. I'm no longer on the medication. I am saying almost verbatim the same things I said when I was big. And now I'm on the cover of every magazine. Now I'm championed as the person who invented the concept of body positivity, which I certainly am not. And yeah. I've been centered in the conversation. I literally beg journalists not to use that term and they still use it in all of the headlines. So mm. I get centered as the as the person who is spearheading this movement that I'm not responsible for. And I have wanted to apologize always like wherever I can to the activists like you who've been doing the work but I've genuinely I've I've asked magazine covers to put women of different sizes and and uh, disabilities on the covers with me and they say either you can't have the cover and then the conversation doesn't get had or you do the cover on your own and then you can have the conversation and I've been constantly mm -hmm. trying to weigh up which one helps the movement and so yeah. I totally recognize 
how fucking frustrating it has been to watch someone who is slender with the sort of societal pretty privilege be completely pushed to the front of this. But I promise you, I just was trying to make sure the conversation was had because if not me, then who? Who else with this platform is talking about this shit? This is me self-aggrandizing. But people stay away yeah. from this conversation. And so I've never known what to do. And that's why I'm really glad to now have this moment where I can just fucking center the people that started <laughs> it. But um, but that's, I don't want people to stand up for me, people who listen to this about this, because it is always incorrect when I get centered in this conversation. I'm here about, mm. I'm here about eating disorders and body neutrality. And that's my lane. <laughs> And I promise I'm going to stay in it. Um, But anyway, so an interesting thing between your experience and my experience as activists for fat acceptance, me as an ally and you as someone who is kind of one of the people spearheading the movement is concern trolling. Talk to me Mm. about concern trolling. What is concern trolling? Concern trolling is a way for people to uh, use fat phobia against um, plus size people, against fat people without uh, quote unquote feeling bad. So what they generally try to do is they go through the health route. So for instance, for an example is if I was to post a photo of myself in a bikini and post it on Twitter, then I would get a flurry of comments from people saying, oh, you're going to die in five years. Oh, but you're... um, you know, you must have diabetes. Oh, diabetes isn't going to look good on you. Your mm. blood sugar level, da, 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 da. all of these, they, they rattle off a, uh, a list, a medical form of uh, conditions for me without knowing anything about my medical history, without knowing anything about, you know, what has happened to me and my body. They literally see my body, can't really work out why somebody who whose body, you know, conforms to what society sees as disgusting is suddenly feeling so confident. And so in a way to kind of make themselves feel better, they try and knock that confident person down by trying to use uh, allegedly legit information. Um, And so um, concern trolling is, yeah, basically a way for people to be arseholes, Mm -hmm. but they think by using health, um, it's it's fine. They get to have, you know, unsolicited comments about other people's bodies, even though they don't do it to other people. If there are other people that are, you know, doing things that may be allegedly harmful to their bodies, it's fine. It's glamorized. Mm-hmm. But everything else with fat bodies, it's like, absolutely not. This is the most disgusting thing we've ever seen. And you're going to die when you're 40, which is it's the fucking, thing that I get the most. It's fucking, it's fucking mad. But also what we see is you have very, very clearly unnaturally underweight people. People, it's like some people are naturally very skinny, but some people are smoking and promote, mm. like promoting a lifestyle that is incredibly unhealthy. No one worries about what's happening to them. No one cares about their osteoporosis or what they're doing to yeah. their fertility or to their body or to their, their vital organs, their kidneys, their heart, yeah. their, their minds. No one ever concern trolls them. We have a sympathy for anorexic people, people who are visibly anorexic or visibly starving themselves. And we look at them as having almost too much self-discipline. You know, this poor perfectionist is suffering. We must be delicate. We must never uh, make fun of it personally. We must never, uh, we we mustn't skinny shame and we mustn't make them feel bad because they have a a mental health issue and and we must protect them. Poor little fragile thing. And yet Mm -hmm. anyone over a certain size is just, it's just a free for all. Oh yeah, we brought it on ourselves, so we must get all of the hate. Yeah, because this is something we've made ourselves do. Where do we go from here? 
That's the question. Because we know I what's think, wrong. We know what's wrong. Yeah. We know about the double standards. We know about the colorism. We know about the patriarchy. What mm-hmm. are the steps that we feel like society needs to take in order to in order to move forward and evolve and get with the damn times? I think one of the main things that needs to happen is a, a, a huge change within the media. And by that, I mean, not just, you know, the entertainment industry, but also people behind the scenes, casting agencies, PRs, marketers. For the most part, you know, before I was a freelancer, I was working full time within PR as the only black person there. And, you know, in my career leading up to this and other jobs that I have been that have been surrounded, you know, within PR and marketing, I've always been the only fat person, the only black person. And these fields are predominantly very white centric um, and also, you know, very slim. And I think in order for there to be change, we need to have a lot more diversity behind the scenes. So when it comes to casting agents or when it comes to um, PR executives, we need to see women of colour, men of colour, fatter women, disabled women, women, you know, within the queer community, because, We can only have change if we have people behind the scenes who want to see that change and who want to see themselves represented um, Mm. on TV, you know, in books, literature, whatever the case may be. Because if you if you keep having uh, cishet white people, straight, um, slim people, um, you know, having control over what gets seen on TV, they're only going to be replicating what they see as their normal, their everyday normal. And their everyday normal is going to be people that look like them. So we need to have so much more inclusivity behind the scenes so that um, we can somehow get to to get some kind of representation because even using myself as an example, when I used to work in influence marketing before um, I went um, freelance um, because I was the only black person there and I, I had to, you know, do outreach to brands and brands would say, okay, we want to work with 10 influencers on this product. And a lot of the time, all the influencers I would always pick were always black and fat. Cause I'm like, I want to see this person win and I want to see this representation mm-hmm. and I want to see how they would create this content. And there needs to be that kind of continuity behind the scenes. Um, I think it's also important for um, allies as well to um, do basically what you're doing in terms of highlighting um, people within communities who don't perhaps have as big of a platform, Mm. um, but have something really important to say. Um, I've always said it's so important for allies to not, um, you can definitely talk about a cause without centering yourself. And Mm -hmm. you can also um, use your platform to uplift um, other women who may not have as big as a platform. So I think that's something that um, you're doing, which I think is amazing, which I think is incredible. And I think if more people could just talk about it as well, um, then hopefully we can get to a place where bigger women, bigger people are just seen as the norm instead of always being, you know, shot down all the time. And we need to learn that you have to stop shaming people into trying to get them to look a certain way. It never works. It always leads to some sort of non-intuitive lifestyle, whether that means exercising more than is good for you or less, or, you know, eating more or less. It just, Mm -hmm. the the shame aspect is something I keep hammering home to people that that, to parents out there who are listening to this, who have a child who they, you know, they feel like should be slimmer. Don't shame them into any kind of lifestyle decision. 
No. So acceptance and self-love and self-care is going to lead to the most intuitive decisions that'll stop you from either starving yourself to the point that you are quote unquote underweight or overweight. I hate these terms, but <laughs> the most important thing is to just promote self-love because when you love yourself yeah. is when you're going to honour your body with the best intuitive decisions. Um, and regarding allies, I... I cannot wait for the time where the people having these conversations in the magazines are the people who are living that experience itself. I, um, I, I continue to be so frustrated by it and, and we'll just keep hope, hopefully be able to keep pushing that conversation onto the people. Cause I think what we've, what we found for sure in the media is that the media are proud of themselves for now having these conversations about fat discrimination, fat acceptance, but yeah. they don't, they want to have the conversation, but they don't want to put the fat woman on the cover of the magazine. And that's why they choose someone like me. Mm. or or yeah. you know even Iskra but like Iskra's bigger than I am they they know that I can still wear the couture and I can still wear the sample sizes but then I'll have this yeah. big buzzy conversation and I recognize the evils of that I'm glad that I know that I've been able to have the conversation and and that yeah. the conversation's been had but I definitely definitely want to help in any way I can to push this forward now to having the fucking conversation with the people who are living that experience um and I thank you for your support of me and mm -hmm. I support you in everything you do I think you're so so important you're so radical in the way that you speak so truthfully online with no filter almost sometimes too much no filter like me um <laughs> <laughs> oh I love it go hard or go home oh my you god <laughs> you and I yes yeah, amazing you and I don't get into more trouble um I know <laughs> but the amount of stuff you have had to tolerate in order to be that public person and take on that uh, that responsibility of speaking up for your community. Not that you're trying to speak for them, but you're speaking up for yeah. them. And you are mm -hmm. putting yourself in the front line of that and taking on all of these numerous challenges and different people's opinions on you. Thank you so much because you make such a difference to people's lives. And I know so many countless people from around the world, not just England, who look to mm -hmm. you as a source of strength and inspiration. And I know that that sometimes takes its toll on your mental health and mm -hmm. that you have, oh, to, you. you have to move through all of that. But it's incredibly inspiring and cool of you. And thank you. From, on behalf of the world uh, for that um, oh before, thank you <laughs> no honestly I know sometimes it feels like it's not just not worth it there's only so much battering one can take I know I know and 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 I've seen what happens with you sometimes and and I I recognize that it wears you down but I I want you to know just forever that it's not for nothing you are reaching more people than you realize in ways that you can't even understand because people are probably too shy to even tell you but Aww. I'm thrilled to have you on this podcast before you go will you please tell me Stephanie Oboa what do you weigh I weigh my um relationships with my family my close relationships mm -hmm. um I weigh myself in my I like to say um quirky sense of humor mm -hmm. um I weigh myself in the fabulous ways in which I'm able to uh put an outfit together mm -hmm. um especially when we don't have a lot of options in plus size I think I do pretty well there um I weigh my creativity and my vulnerability in talking about issues that are important to me and I weigh um, my sensitivity and empathy towards others as well. Yay. 
Yay. Um, well, thank you so much. And I, uh, I can't wait to speak to you again. You have a book coming out later this year called Fatally Ever After. I do. I do. Yes. 3rd of September. <laughs> Indeed. And so uh, everyone will have to go and pre-order that book. Uh, and now you have a sense of just how fabulous Stephanie is. And she's a really great writer, one of my favourite writers on the whole of the internet. And Aww. love you lots, mate. Love you. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you so much for listening to this week's I Weigh. I would also like to thank the team which helps me make this podcast. My producers, Sophia Jennings and Kimmy Lucas, my editor, Andrew Carson, my boyfriend, James Blake, who made the beautiful music you are hearing now, and me for my work. At I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, it's not in pounds and kilos. It's your social contributions to society or just how you define yourself in life. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. I weigh being 22 and not having it figured out yet. I weigh being a daughter to both a mother and someone who is no longer around. I weigh being a sister. I weigh being a confidant. I weigh being a writer and a creator, even if the creations aren't always what other people expect them to be. I weigh being an empath. I weigh my privilege and acknowledgement of that. I weigh my opinions. As Roxanne Gay said, they take up a lot of my weight. I weigh being sober. I weigh transferring from the universities. And I weigh being still. Thank you. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.